A lot of the skill, I think, in growing organic potatoes is understanding that um, there are certain pests and diseases that are going to want to suck some of the energy out of your potato crop. You can think of your potato crop as this, this nice, uh, juicy resource out in the field that various organisms want a piece of. So the faster you can get that um, through the, the season and into storage, uh, the better in a lot of ways. And pre-sprouting allows you to do that. This is the Ruminant Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant is a podcast and blog that wonders what good farming looks like. You can find everything at theruminant.ca. At the site, you'll find posts of every podcast episode I've done, my essays, photo-based submissions from other farmers, and all kinds of great stuff. I hope you'll check it out. All right, time for a podcast. Hi, folks. It's Wednesday, the hour is late, and I have very little time to record much of an intro for this episode. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. When I was out at Moses Organic in Wisconsin, a great conference that happens every year out there, I listened to a speaker called Ruth Genger talk about potato production. So let's meet Ruth. My name is Ruth Genger, and I am a researcher at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And I've been working with organic farmers on potato production for about the last eight years now. Um, Mainly what I focus on is uh, issues to do with production of healthy seed potatoes, that is the potatoes that are planted to produce the next year's crop. But we also do quite a lot of work on variety trialing, looking for varieties that are well suited to organic production. And we have initiated in the last year a breeding program aiming at breeding specialty potatoes that are suited to organic production. So I had a great conversation with Ruth, and what we focused on was all the considerations to be thinking about just before and during planting of your of your potatoes. So creating the conditions for really good potato production. So we talked a lot about saving seed potatoes and also where to source them and why you should consider sourcing your seed potatoes from elsewhere as well as all kinds of fun stuff like cutting your potatoes so that you can stretch your seed supply a little bit further and chitting them. If you don't know what chitting is, well, you'll find out. It was a really good interview and I think uh, if you're, I think whether you've grown potatoes before or whether you're just about to start growing potatoes and whether it's on the home garden scale or really large scale, I think uh, there's a lot to learn in this episode. So I hope you like it and I'll talk to you at the end. Ruth Ginger, thanks a lot for coming on the Ruminant Podcast. Thanks for having me. Ruth, I'm really excited to talk to you about organic potato production, which we're going to do in just a moment. Although, uh, with my guests, I, I like to try and start with um, some lighter material, by, which which serves uh, a to just uh, a bit of an icebreaker, uh, and also just to establish your credentials, so that um, yeah. we can prove your your you have the knowledge you say you do. <laughs> so, what I'd like to do uh, is ask you if you know the answers to these. Um, potato jokes that I found online. So what do you say to an angry baked potato? (laughs) I have no idea. uh, Are you really a potato researcher, Ruth? This is what I'm wondering (laughs) now. Any, the the answer is anything. Just butter them up. (laughs) I like that. Um, What is a potato's least favorite dance? Uh, The, 
There's one called the Mash, isn't there? That is the answer to the joke that you have just <laughs> you have just somewhat redeemed yourself, Ruth Ginger. You have just somewhat <laughs> redeemed yourself. Um, Thank goodness, I know something. Okay, one more from this website on vegetable jokes that I found um, on the page for potatoes. Why did the potato cross the road? Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. You know what? This one isn't even fair. The answer is he saw a fork up ahead, and um, I think that's... <laughs> of course, t- he would run in the other direction. Yeah, but it, see, it's terrible. It's not even a potato joke. I mean, you could... Like, why did the beefaroni see cross the road? Because he saw a fork up ahead. It's just... Uh, that does not belong on this potato page. And I was... There were more jokes, including some really, like, um, lowbrow ones that I'm not... I, it would have you blushing, so I'm not going to tell you those, but... Um, because, well, I'm relieved. Because they're so terrible, I actually made up um, like a varsity level joke, like something, um, you know, more, more, uh, just more appropriate to your level of understanding of potatoes. So um, I made this up like just a few minutes ago. I want to know if you know the answer and either way what you think of it. So here we go. This is the last one, Ruth, I promise. Mm -hmm. What do you call a dishonest seed potato? What do you call a dishonest seed potato? Uh, a rotten spud? A bull chitter. <laughs> that, All right, that, I, I approve. That's I approve. pretty that good, right? Joke. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'll tell you what, Ruth, <laughs> next time you're speaking at Moses in Wisconsin, you can use that and you can call it your own joke. I'm giving you my permission, but I just made that up. <laughs> Well, thank you. I I will write it down and keep it in my collection. All right. All right. Awesome. Okay. So, um, enough, enough silliness. Uh, Ruth, I feel like the potato is seen as like just a super, super easy garden plant to grow and, and that people take them for granted almost when, when really there's, there's a lot of important knowledge around potato production and there's a big difference between sloppy production and good production. Yeah. And I think that sometimes, uh, people who are, um, either getting into organic farming or who maybe are experienced organic farmers but haven't grown potatoes before, sometimes they do take it for granted that it will not be a difficult crop to grow. But um, once you're growing it, once you're growing more than a few plants in a garden, there are things that you really need to pay attention to. And I've I've actually been um, quite happy to hear from friends of mine who grow backyard gardens that um, they've started growing potatoes often because I I give them some seed potatoes in the spring. And they're delighted to see how productive they are and they really enjoy, they they think the plants are beautiful and the flowers are beautiful and they really enjoy the whole process and find it very easy. Um, So I wonder if that's why people have the perception that it won't be difficult. But I do know that there are quite a few CSA farmers, so um, fairly fairly small-scale um, some actually fairly large-scale CSA farmers in, in my area who don't grow potatoes because they have had so many problems with them and they will actually do a an exchange or they'll buy in potatoes from other organic farms to supplement their CSA offerings. I, I certainly, I, I'm going to confess that um, I haven't done well with potato production on my farm. And, you know, partly I don't grow a ton just because I find uh, I, I'm not large enough to afford the kind of harvest equipment that makes it efficient. But I'm not even talking about that. Um, I just okay. haven't had great yields. Um, I, I've had some problems, which I, I think might be late season blight that we can talk about in a little bit. But in general, I just I haven't I haven't produced great potatoes. So I'm um, yeah. I learned a little bit in your talk in Wisconsin. I'm hoping to learn a little bit more today. 
Um, yeah. but, but anyway, yeah, I, I certainly think that there's there, I'm, 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 I'm continually like lately I've just been appreciating more and more that there's, there's an art to growing them well. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's definitely true. And the more, you know, um, you, if you can start to figure out the reasons why they haven't done so well for you, sometimes there are things that you may not be able to change very easily, like your soil conditions, but there are other things that you can, once you know to look out for them, um, it might be something that's quite solvable. Uh, well, you mentioned soil, Ruth, and that's where I'd like to get started in, in this, um, this primer on potatoes. Could you give, could you give us um, uh, just a primer on, on the kind of soil conditions people should be aiming for um, you know, before planting and, and then to set up mm-hmm. good potato production? Well, in general, uh, people consider a fairly sandy soil uh, to be a good soil for growing potatoes, um, something that's fairly light with... Um, you, you certainly don't want it to be pure sand. Um, I know that there are um, there are a lot of uh, very large-scale potato-producing areas that, that are on pretty much pure sand. But if you're growing organically, then obviously you need to have a good amount of organic matter in the soil um, just to have that nutrient-holding capacity. And um, if you have a loamy soil, you have more of that nutrient-holding capacity um, already. So um, in general, though, potatoes do like a fairly light soil. If you've got clay, it's going to be you know, a, lot more, a lot more challenging. Um, but you can certainly ameliorate that with the addition of a lot of, of organic material. Um, often we do, um, we do some, uh, some fairly deep plowing to try to loosen up the soil um, and have a nice deep, um, deep seed bed. Uh, and that definitely helps. If you have compaction in your soil, it's going to you're going to struggle with that very much at harvest. So getting a nice, light, loose soil is really important early on. And can you talk a little bit about soil amendments, including compost and different types of compost? You know, manure-based compost versus versus um, vegetative compost, and and also just mm. other minerals people might add in an organic context to to um, to, to get better production. Yeah, for sure. Um, so generally in the production that, um, in the field that I have my research in, we use a, uh, a chicken manure compost and uh, that has worked very well for us. Uh, some years we have, if we have noticed low levels of certain micronutrients, uh, we, have, um, we have purchased a micronutrient mix as well. Um, but we also work with a farmer who has been growing organic potatoes for about 15 years now on a nice uh, light silt, uh, sorry, silt loam. And, uh, and he grows all of his nutrition. He, uh, he does a lot of cover cropping. He doesn't apply any manure. And, um, and really, I would not have believed that you could grow potatoes very well um, that way because they are fairly heavy feeders, but he's successful with it. Uh, he also applies some biological amendments uh, to try to um, to really activate the soil microbiology, and perhaps that has something to do with it. Um, I think that would be a really interesting research area to look into, but I do want to encourage people to think about the potential of cover crops uh, as opposed to simply applying manure and if if they're interested in that, to maybe do some little experiments and little trials on their own farms 
to to see how that works out for them because it's clearly possible. And so the key there just being to, you know, both before and after the main potato production in a season to keep that soil covered in some mixture of, um, you know, a, a nitrogen producer and, and uh, something like a rye or an oats or a barley, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you want to, it's, it's ideal to have a legume um, before you put in your potato crop uh, just to, to have that extra nitrogen credit that will go into the soil. Um, and then a lot of the time, especially if you are growing some late maturing varieties, and especially if you're in northern latitudes, um, your only real option is going to be winter rye after you've harvested potatoes. But, you know, generally that will establish pretty well and um, give you some nice, nice regrowth in the spring. Uh, but, yeah, definitely important to keep that soil covered. And um, with the cover cropping... You, you have a lot more potential to add organic matter into the soil, which I consider very important with potatoes. Potatoes are hard on the soil. You're doing a lot of preparation to get that, that deep, loose seed bed in the spring, and then you're completely disrupting the soil structure when you go through and harvest. So um, it actually it takes a lot, of, um, a lot of carbon out of the soil, which is true of annual agriculture in general. Um, so the more we can be putting that back and just adding organic matter to the soil, the more sustainable our potato production is going to be. And and uh, just just following off of that, I know in your presentation you mentioned the importance of long rotations. Uh, yeah. So that that's a good principle in, in any form of organic and any agricultural production. But is it particularly important for potatoes? In potatoes, there are certain diseases that uh, stay in the soil that can really impact um, the usable production that you get, the usable yield that you get from your potato crop. And because those organisms are quite long-lived in the soil, if you can extend your rotation out to about six years or you know, longer, if you can manage that, then that's going to allow the population uh, of those uh, pathogenic organisms to drop down to a level where they shouldn't give you too many problems. So one example of that is a, uh, a soil bacteria um, which causes common scab on potatoes. And that's probably a pretty familiar uh, disease to anyone who's grown potatoes. Uh, as you would imagine from the name, the bacteria causes large um, scabby lesions. They're not, not at all attractive. So that can really reduce your marketability uh, of your crop. And if you go into a field for the first time with potatoes, those potatoes will be clean as a whistle. They, they are just beautiful coming out of the soil. But um, after a, a, a few years of going back in a short rotation, you will start to see uh, a lot more scab. Some of that may have come in on seed pieces that you planted, but also there are, there's um, an adaptation of the soil bacteria to the regular presence of potatoes so that um, members of that bacterial species, which is Streptomyces scabies, that, um, that can uh, basically uh, colonize the surface of the potato, um, they adapt to its presence and they get more common in the soil population and that's how you develop this problem. So stretching out your rotation really helps with just keeping those soil organisms that will colonize your potato, just keeping them at a low level. 
Ruth, a, a, a major focus of your presentation at the conference was was on the importance of healthy seed. So I, I, I'd love to talk about the, that, you know, that that topic of healthy seed potatoes and what that means and, and how we how we how we achieve that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I well, mean, you, you started with just a basic principle. Healthy seed equals healthy crops. Um, yes. So I, I, maybe I'll just set you loose to start. I do have some questions, but but could you talk a little bit about about that? Yeah, for sure. Really what I mostly think about is uh, the absence of diseases. And um, because potatoes are, um, are a vegetatively propagated crop, um, there is the potential for diseases to persist in the seed potatoes um, that you're planting. So um, a potato is, is actually it's a modified underground stem. Most people just think of it as it's a tuber. They may not know exactly what that means in terms of the plant part, but it is um, it is a stem, and um, so you can kind of think of it as a cutting. If you were trying to propagate from, uh, say, an apple tree, you might take a cutting and graft that onto a rootstock. With potatoes, you're essentially taking a cutting from the previous year's um, year's crop that the plant handily you know, detaches and leaves in the soil for you, that's, that's the cutting. So if the parent plant has, uh, has a disease, it's very possible for that disease to be present in the tuber as well. And um, the parent plant may not have shown any signs of that disease even if the disease came in fairly late in the growing season. But if it's present there in your tuber, then as soon as that tuber comes up, it's being affected by the disease. And... Um, with a lot of viral pathogens, that can um, that can stunt the plant. And uh, if you have a really high level of virus in your seed, then that can even cause a crop failure. So, um, because this is such a big issue in the potato industry, there is um, there is a whole uh, industry built around certifying seed potatoes for health and. Um, and those potatoes are tested. Um, a sample is taken at harvest, and they are actually uh, taken to the tropics. They get to have a tropical vacation over the winter and grown out so that they can be checked for evidence of disease. So, I mean, I have the impression that you're not you're not a big advocate of sa- of saving saving potato seed for for the reasons you just explained. I think that it can be okay to save potato seed, but I think you really need to know what you're doing. I I think that if you simply save your seed year after year, what you are setting yourself up for is a crop failure. And that's, um, I'm not opposed to people saving seed by any means because I recognize that sometimes it's, it's an economic necessity. But what I really want is for people to grow healthy crops and so I want them to be aware that there are some potential um, potential dangers to saving your own seed. And there are ways that they can learn to select the plants that they save seed from that will reduce those dangers. So one example of that is to know what the common diseases are that can be passed on in seed potatoes, recognize the symptoms of those diseases, and then... Um, watch your crop and make sure that you're excluding any plants that show those symptoms from um, from the plants that you save seeds. So Ruth, if people are going to save their potatoes for seed, which is really common, 
Um, and as you've said, it's, it's not such a bad thing, but there are, there are mm. considerations to make about that. So can you talk a little bit about, about good practices in, in seed saving for potatoes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you are going to save your seed potatoes, it's, um, it is important that uh, fairly recently uh, you, have, you have bought them from a certified grower. Uh, and I would suggest that people who save their seed potatoes do um, buy in seed potatoes every few years. That's the, that's the safest option. Um, but the, the potatoes that you are going to save uh, should not just be the bag that is left over uh, in the basement or in the storage at the, uh, in the spring. Um, look at your plants during the season. Look for the ones that are the most vigorous, that uh, are the biggest and healthiest, and mark those plants. And plan to go in before you uh, before you dig your main crop, and take those out by hand, so that you know that they have come from plants that were healthy. Um, if you if you look online uh, for information on potato diseases, you can find a lot of pictures that show you the symptoms of potato disease of potato viruses, especially. Um, and if you see uh, evidence of disease in those plants, then you should not be saving anything from them. So um, particularly with viruses, you may see what's called mosaic symptoms, where the leaves are mottled uh, green and pale green or green and yellow. Uh, anything like that is definitely going to stay in the tuber and come up uh, the next year. So you want to avoid plants that look like that. Uh, one other caution is that... Um, a lot of potato viruses are carried by aphids. Uh, you can think of it as analogous to malaria being carried by mosquitoes. So um, aphids will come through the crop later in the year and they only need to be feeding on the potatoes for a few seconds to pass along a virus. And if it's late in the season, those plants may never show symptoms. So you won't actually be able to detect that the virus has gotten into your plants but the virus can, in those cases, still go down into the tubers. So that is why a lot of seed potato growers will try to harvest early. So that's another option for you if you really want to save your own seed potatoes to, uh, to have a special plot that you have. Um, you can even think ahead and try to chip those potatoes and really get them, um, get them so that they're going to mature early. And then uh, even cut down the vines early so that you can so that you can dig those seed potatoes and set them aside. You'll lose a little bit of yield, but it's far better to lose a little bit of yield for your seed crop than to have viruses come in and potentially make that a seed crop that's going to fail. Wow, so interesting. So in terms of other than the yield loss, doing it that way, you're not you're not affecting anything else about the about the quality of the seed. They might be small potatoes and there might be less of them, but that's a way to 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 hedge against the risk of things like aphids passing on problems to your Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a good method to use and especially for someone who's growing on a market scale they're not really losing that much, especially when you consider the cost of seed potatoes. If you're buying double certified, they are expensive. They sure are. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, if you've got, I mean, you might be able to just have 20, 20 row feet or something like that that, uh, that you dedicate to it. Okay, so saving seed is, is quite acceptable. Maybe think about getting that certified seed every few years, but in the years you're saving, just try and be a little more thoughtful about it. So this, this, the, the potatoes you are saving are, are at their highest possible quality. 
Yeah, absolutely. Commonly, we hear for, for other seed production um, that, that a real benefit to saving seed is that you can develop over generations. You can develop seed that is more adapted to your soil. But I, I guess I would think that doesn't really apply with potatoes because you, it's essentially you're, you're just taking clones. You're taking cuttings. The genetics can't, yeah. can't adapt, yeah. so to speak, to your, to your, to your yeah. environmental conditions. Exactly, because you are just taking cuttings. You may have the very occasional uh, occurrence of a, of a sport and you may be able to select a tuber type that, that looks really good from that. But that's so rare that you're not really going to have a lot of change. Uh, we, can, we can talk maybe a little bit later about um, breeding, um, breeding for new varieties of potatoes and the ways in which people could, uh, can do that on their own farms to try to find varieties that are better suited to their location because that is feasible, but um, it's a little more challenging in potatoes than it is in some other crops. All right. Well, I'll ask you about that when we talk about your own breeding program at the end of our conversation. Okay. Um, but anyway, the, the main takeaway point is that um, strongly people should strongly consider looking to source their potatoes somewhere that has certification of their seed potatoes. And in your talk, you talked about the um, good operations that, that sell seed potatoes being double certified. Yeah, that's right. If you're growing organically, um, and especially if you have a certified organic operation, then um, you're, at least in the U.S., your, your certifier is going to want to see that you are planting organically produced seed. Um, and that can be a little bit challenging to find um, for potatoes. There are not very many producers of organic seed potatoes that are also producing certified seed potatoes where they've been certified uh, to be, to be um, healthy enough to plant. Right. So, um, yeah, if, if you find a producer that says they are double certified, then you know that um, they have not just the organic certification, uh, they also have the certification that their seed is healthy. And, and I just now want to follow up on a few things you mentioned in the last few minutes about healthy seed. Um, can you, like what, when you say the tuber age is important, I, 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 that was a concept I wasn't really, I mean, I don't really understand when you talk about tuber age. When we, when we think about normal or true seed that, um, like, you know, corn seed or wheat seed, we know that it's, um, it's it's fairly. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble thinking of the word. It's it's not it's not very active. It's it's in a resting state, um, and so we we sometimes think of seed potatoes in the same way. But seed potatoes are quite metabolically active, and they have a certain amount of um, of resources stored up in the tuber um, in the form of starch and other carbohydrates, and they're going to use that up to keep themselves alive. Um, they're actually breaking down starch and um, into sugar and um, and using that sugar to respire. They're um, they're um, giving off carbon dioxide and water. Um, so if you use up too much of those nutrients, the potatoes essentially um, do not have enough vigor to be really in good shape when you put them into the field. I don't really feel like I'm explaining this very well. No, no, I think you are. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm understanding you. First of all, I mean, the evidence of what you just said is, is it's, it's the reason why, why from a culinary standpoint, everyone wants new potatoes because they're, yeah. they haven't, they haven't been metabolic, 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 
metabolically gee, what do, i'm i've yeah, lost the word metabolically <laughs> yeah metabolically active for very long in storage and so they're they're i would assume at their sweetest and, and just freshest that, that 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 that's why we get potatoes that don't cook as well or or aren't aren't quite as enjoyable yeah when they're stored yeah um and so but but then it sounds like just the storage conditions can influence the rate at which potatoes so to speak age yeah, if if they're stored at um, temperatures that are too high, then they will they will age a little faster. Um, if you keep them down, seed potatoes are usually stored um, at around probably around thirty eight degrees Fahrenheit, and um, sometimes as high as forty. And that keeping them cooler means that they just um, they are a little bit less active. Uh, they're not burning through as many as much of their carbohydrate resources. Um, as they as they get older, um, they also uh, part of this is not just based on the the carbohydrate storage they have. It's also based on the innate dormancy of the tuber, which is which is genetically controlled. So um, some varieties have a very long dormancy, and uh, they will not sprout for a really long time. So those ones you actually have to deliberately age a little bit to make sure that they're ready to grow when you put them in the field. Um, other varieties break dormancy really quickly, and those are the varieties that can be frustrating uh, to farmers who want to store their crop because those are the ones that sprout in storage, and a lot of reds will do that. Right. Um, a lot of red varieties will just, you know, you can only keep them for um, a fairly short time, maybe a couple of months before they start sprouting. Um, so you can very easily check to see how old your potatoes are by taking a few of them out of storage and just leave them at normal um, in normal room conditions for a week or so and then take a look. If they're fairly young potatoes, then they might have a couple of sprouts um, at the um, at the rows end of the potato, opposite of where the, the stem was attached uh, on the parent plant. If they're a little bit older, they'll have more sprouts um, some of them from the from the rose end and some of them from further down on the tuber. Uh, if they have really um, if they have really kind of thready sprouts, then they're probably getting a little bit old and may not do may not be quite so vigorous when you plant them. And uh, if you're saving your own seed potatoes, this can sometimes happen if they've been stored badly. You can get those really kind of thready long sprouts. And sometimes if potatoes get really desperate because they've been stored too long, they will start producing tiny little tubers right off uh, right off the main tuber. And at that point, don't even try to plant okay, them. Okay, so that's that's a bad sign if you see that. Yeah, that's a bad sign. Oh. Um, if and that's that's not gonna happen if you're buying if you're buying from a reputable seed grower. That's only something that might happen if you're storing your own and uh, just threw them into the basement. Okay, and then all right. So I've got one more kind of just follow up question from before, and you, you you talked about like trying to avoid stressing the potatoes. So there's the stress that can just come with with um, you know improper storage conditions. But but in your talk, you also just talked about like don't be too hard on your potatoes. Like do I have do I do I have I remember that right? Like just in terms of bruising and, and handling, um, that, that, yeah, that that yeah. can that can negatively affect your your seed potato ultimately. Yeah, I mean, my, my colleague, Doug Rouse, who gave the presentation with me, tends to say a potato should never fall more than two inches um, because they will bruise. 
Um, so this is definitely a consideration at harvest. Um, obviously, if you're using a, a mechanical digger or harvester, uh, they're going to get a little bit beat up. Um, but yeah, it's um, when you're handling, you just you just want to try and make sure that they're not bouncing around too much. And that's one of the reasons why at harvest uh, you make sure that the vines have died down completely because you want to give the tubers a little bit of time to sit in the ground and have their skins set and firm up a little bit uh, so that you don't get skinning on the potatoes when you harvest them. Okay, so we've talked about the importance of sourcing uh, certified seed potatoes just to ensure that you're not starting out with, with, um, with pathogens. Um, and we've talked about stress and tuber age and all that stuff. And all of this is towards goes towards producing the goal of, as you said earlier, those potatoes jumping out of the soil. Um, yeah, that's, that's what right. we're aiming for. We're aiming for potatoes that just like shoot out of the soil, both to shade out weeds, but also just in, in the overall service of a vigorous potato plant that's going to give you good yield. Yep. Um, but we're not quite there in terms of planting. I, I really want to talk to you about, about cutting and chitting. So, so, yeah. so you've, you've, you've managed to store your potatoes well. It's now getting towards the time, say it's February or March, when you've got to be thinking about the planting coming ahead. I was a little mm-hmm. confused in the presentation just about the order of these things. So, so you're going to, in, in just a moment, you're going to talk about cutting your potato just to, to essentially stretch your, your potato seed to be able to plant more, um, mm-hmm. as well as chitting them, which, which has to do with intentionally sprouting them ahead of when you plant. So can you, can you take us through that? And, and, and especially with regards to the order, the best order. So, so start with your potatoes have been stored at the right temperature for long-term storage. And now you got to start thinking about the planting that's coming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So your potatoes will have been stored um, hopefully at around um, around 95% humidity uh, and if they're being stored for a long time, around 38 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And then as you get ready for planting, uh, you're going to want to warm them up so that they are, are starting to become more active, more metabolically active. The sprouts will start to grow and they'll be ready to to really burst out of the soil when you plant them. So there are a couple of different approaches you can take. If you know that your potatoes have uh, broken dormancy, and you might know that because you took a few out and just left them around the house for a week or so and you saw that they were sprouting, if they're already broken dormancy, then all you might really need to do is warm them up for maybe a week or so and that would be at around 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit, Um, and then they'll be ready to to sprout when you plant them. Um, If your potatoes are a little bit uh, more dormant, or if you just want to really make sure that they're going to get growing very quickly, you can do what's called, um, you can chip them. And that's something where you, uh, you want to encourage them to produce uh, very short, stubby little sprouts. Um, everyone has seen the bag of potatoes under the kitchen sink with the long white sprouts that are reaching up towards the light. Those long white sprouts develop in the dark. They're trying to find some light and they're very fragile and easy to damage. So you want to have really um, tough, sturdy little sprouts on the potatoes. And so you want to expose them to light. It doesn't need to be a whole lot of light, but if they can, if they get a bit of illumination, then the sprouts will be green and they'll be really tough. 
So that's called chitting. In, in Europe, it's a pretty common practice, uh, and often it's called pre-sprouting or green sprouting. So you want to do that um, at about probably 60 degrees or so. Um, if you look online, you'll find quite a quite a range of different recommendations for what temperature you chit at. I personally think that the most important thing is that they do have some light. I think that's what they're going to respond to the most. And you would want to have them at, I think, at least 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So chitting is something that you can do uh, before you cut the potatoes. But um, you want to keep in mind that if you're chitting them ahead of time, that it's probably going to be better to cut them by hand. Uh, if you are at a scale where you, you have to use a machine cutter, then um, it may actually be better to pre-cut the potatoes and then store them. Uh, because that way you don't risk damaging sprouts that have already formed on the potatoes. So, so, so I, um, I, I'm yeah. sorry, Ruth. I'm going to stop you because um, I've got my my potatoes chitting right now, but I've mm-hmm. made a mistake because I cut them right before having them chit. So, so which oh, I, you're I, you're saying I should have done that while they were still dormant? No, no, not necessarily. You really, potatoes are, I'm probably making it sound like they're, they're really delicate, but potatoes are really quite adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, they, because they're, they're metabolically active, they will heal. So if you, if you cut them and then set them out to chit, um, that's actually great for them because you'll have them in fairly warm conditions and they go through an active healing process. You know how when you cut a potato, after you leave it out for a while, the surf, that cut surface will have dried up and be kind of a little bit tough. Mm-hmm. So that's an active process where the potato is actually forming a, a, a surface called with a, a material called suberin. And that's a really nice, tough um, wound protection. So if you want to if you want to cut your potatoes and then set them out to chit, that is also a perfectly good way to do it. Okay, and and so I just uh, we're going to have to move on here, but but um, well, first of all, the cutting. Just to touch on that, um, like what what are, what's the basic principle of proper cutting? You need to leave at least one eye on on each on each piece. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So your new plant is growing from from the eye. So you, want, you need to have at least one eye on each seed piece. And ideally, you'll be aiming for about a two-ounce seed piece and try to make sure that that is a nice blocky uh, chunk of potato. You don't want slivers because they're going to dry out and shrivel up and you won't get a healthy plant or a vigorous plant out of that. Uh, and make sure that your cutting knives are sharp, whether you're doing it by hand or using a machine. You don't want to have ragged cuts because those are potentially going to be a way for bacteria and fungi to get into your potatoes. So nice, clean cuts. And so if, if, you, if people follow the, the two-ounce rule to keep your, keep your ultimate each piece above two ounces, has the research shown that, that, that by cutting your potatoes you're not affecting ultimate yields too much, you know, in terms of the size of the, yeah. the actual seed potato you're putting in the ground? Yeah, there, there has been a fair amount of research into that. And, um, and the results, you know, things, things vary a little bit uh, depending on, on the year and on the variety. But overall, it doesn't make a, a big difference whether you, um, whether you plant small, whole seed pieces.
pieces, which a lot of people like to do. Often those are, are sold as B-sized potatoes. Um, or if you buy larger potatoes and cut them, um, so long as you handle them properly, uh, keep them um, keep them at appropriate temperatures, uh, and keep them in pretty high humidity, they should be just fine. It won't make a big difference to the yield. Okay. So we've talked about sourcing good seed potatoes and the reasons for doing that. We've talked about cutting, and, and I think more importantly, we've, we've talked about chitting. Now, I want to ask mm-hmm. you, though, this is, I mean, this could be considered all just kind of academic, essentially. Does it really matter in terms of those potatoes jumping out of the ground, in terms of, in terms of the ultimate yields? Um, is, you know, are, are these factors we've talked about, can it really make a mm-hmm. difference in terms, of, in terms of vigor and in terms of ultimate yields? I think that if you are in um, in northern latitudes, chitting is a really smart thing to do because it does push the um, the potato maturity forward. Um, not only will they come up more quickly and be more vigorous when they come up, but they will <clears throat> pardon me they will also start to uh, to form tubers earlier, and they will reach their uh, their peak yield earlier. So I think it's worth doing because it allows you to get the crop out of the ground sooner. Um, a, a lot of the um, a lot of the skill I think in growing organic potatoes is understanding that um, there are certain pests and diseases that are going to want to suck some of the energy out of your potato crop. You can think of your potato crop as this this nice uh, juicy resource out in the field that various organisms want a piece of. So the faster you can get that um, through the the season and into storage, uh, the better in a lot of ways. And pre-sprouting allows you to do that. And then one factor we haven't, I just want to touch on really quick, is just the the soil temperature. I think a lot of people rush their planting when the soil is still quite cool. Is that that okay or or would you advise against that? Oh, I would advise against that, but I completely understand why people do it. You know, when we had that that early burst of warm weather, I wanted to run out there and start planting right away. And um, when the air temperatures are warm, it's very tempting to think that that it's time to get out there and plant. But potatoes are going to do best if you can plant them when the soil has warmed up to around 50, 55 degrees. Uh, And it's really worth waiting for a number of reasons. Um, if you are planting potatoes into cold soil, then they're just going to sit there. They're not going to sprout very quickly. And the longer potatoes or any seed really sits in the ground, uh, the longer it is a um, just a, a nice chunk of food for some um, some fungus or some bacteria to come along and or some insect maybe to come along and munch on. Um, so if you if you have that cold seed sitting out there, then you can get stand problems later on because some of your seed has just rotted in the ground. Um, So the other reason that it's important to plant into warm soil is that uh, if you have warmed your potatoes up uh, and had them sitting at around maybe 55 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, then you're putting them into soil where the soil temperature and the seed temperature are very similar. And... um, that means that you are not going to end up with moisture uh, that is maybe condensing or sitting in the soil around the tuber because you're not going to have a, a big temperature differential between the seed piece 
and the tube, uh, the seed piece and the soil. Um, if you have um, pockets of um, of free pockets of water around the seed piece, that creates a really great environment for bacteria to um, to get in and rot the seed piece. So that's just that's another reason to try to plant when the soil is warm. Okay. So Ruth, um, you've taken us to the point of getting potatoes in the ground and giving them the best possibility of, of giving you a great crop. Uh, and I had planned to ask you so much more about pests and pathogens and harvesting and storage and all that stuff. But I think we're going to have to wait. We've, we've, uh, we've roared through our time together here and, and maybe that's appropriate. We, uh, this is the time of year people are planting and you've just, um, you've hopefully given them their best shot at, at, uh, at, 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 at putting in a great crop. So I'd love to have you back sometime to talk about some of those other topics. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I would love to come back. And this is definitely the danger when you ask someone who's enthusiastic about <laughs> potatoes. Um, they will just not stop talking about them. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, 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 this is not the first time it's happened uh, on an episode <laughs> with, uh, with, with an extension agent or, or academic. Um, so, so look, I, I know that you, the one concern you have is you don't want to scare people away. I mean, we've, we've gone into depth into all this stuff, and it can, I know it can cause people to overthink it. Overall, um, if people, I, I just get the sense if people just try and follow some of these major principles you've talked about sourcing good certified yeah. seed, um, trying to get storage more or less right, thinking about maybe chitting their potatoes before they get them in the ground and waiting until the soil is at that right temperature. It's going to put them in a, in a, in a good situation, but either way, they shouldn't be discouraged from, from putting potatoes in the ground. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. Potatoes are a great crop. Uh, they they can be extremely productive, and there's always more to learn. There's there's always more that you can delve into in a topic. And as an academic, that's what I tend to do. Um, but yeah, the the basic principles are pretty straightforward. And I think the most important thing is for people to remember that the seed potatoes are actually they're they're living plants. They're they're dormant right now. But um, but if you just put a little bit of thought into the way they're stored and the way they're handled, um, they're gonna they're gonna do a good job for you when you get them out to the field. Okay. Well, before we say goodbye, I wanted to ask you about one of your uh, one of one of the things you're focusing on in your in your work in your research, which is you're 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 engaged in a breeding program to try and come up with um, some specialty potatoes for. Uh, to give farmers more options for marketing, can, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, yeah. This is something I'm I'm really excited about. So um, we talked about how potatoes are um, are generally vegetatively propagated. Well, a lot of potatoes um, will also produce tree seeds, and we we generally to distinguish them from seed potatoes, which are the tubers. We usually call them true potato seed or TPS for short. So um, when you see your potatoes flowering, um, you can go back a few weeks later and you will see little berries that have formed from the flowers. Sometimes those berries will just drop off the plant. Other times they'll, they'll hang on for quite a while. Um, one, one word of caution, don't ever eat those berries. They are extremely poisonous. Um, but they are packed full of seeds. And those seeds um, are going to have a lot of genetic variability in them. Potatoes are tetrapoids, which means that they have four copies uh, of, of each chromosome, so four copies of their genome. And um, they're, very, uh, they're very 
heterogeneous, which just means there's a lot of genetic variability in them. Um, so when you have a cross between two potato varieties, um, you can get a lot of different uh, shapes and sizes and colors of potatoes. If you cross a yellow and a yellow, you'll probably get a lot of yellows. But if you cross a yellow and a purple or a red and a purple, you will get a, a huge range of different things. Um, so we are working with, um, with a number of farmers uh, to supply them with true potato seed and some of them are also going to learn to make the crosses themselves. It's extremely easy to do. And uh, then they are going to uh, grow out seedlings from those seeds. You can start them pretty much the same as uh, tomato seeds. And uh, then when they get big enough, put them out in the field, and uh, that's going to give them a lot of variability to choose from and to see what is well adapted to their growing conditions. And so they will be saving the tubers from those potatoes and growing them on the next year so that we can get a really good look at, uh, at how well suited they are to different organic growing conditions. And what seems so cool is that unlike a lot of breeding, other plant breeding programs, you grow out, you're going to get tons of variability. So you're just going to put the seed out and then see what you get. But then I, if I understand you and understand potatoes, once you grow a plant out and get some potatoes and realize that, A, they, they, they taste really good and it turns out they store uh -huh. really good, you don't have further, um, what's it called? You don't have to keep breeding them to, like, to, 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 to stabilize the line. You just now start yeah. cloning those potatoes and you've got a new variety, hey? That's right. That's right. That is one of the really fun things about it. If you find something that looks good, then yeah, just hold on to those tubers and uh, and you've got a new variety. So I do have listeners, you know, down your way. Are you still looking for people to participate, or how? Did, I mean, is it kind of a closed program, or, or or is there any way that people can participate? Is there a website? About oh this yeah. Stuff or? Yeah, our website is um, all one word: organic potato wisc.edu and people can go there and uh, and read about what we're doing uh, and there's a uh, there's a contact form uh, if people are in, interested in getting involved they're very welcome to contact me and the uh, the true potato seed project is very open for other people to uh, to get involved whether they are growing on a on a large scale or a market scale or even just in their backyards. The great thing about it is that you can grow one plant or you can grow a thousand, um, depending on whatever you want to do. Uh, and I think it's a really exciting way for people to learn a little bit about how how really it's very, it's very easy to do this sort of stuff. It's easy to get involved. Um, because potatoes are so variable, you will see a lot of different things when you grow out these seeds. And, you know, it's possible that a lot of them will not be that great, but you may find a, a few jewels in your potato hill when you dig it up. Are you, uh, are you, uh, you know, do you have your heart set on, on uh, creating an, like a wonderful variety and, and calling it, you know, the ginger? <laughs> well, maybe I could call it the ginger. <laughs> uh, my mother was a school teacher and, and all, the, all the little kids called her Mrs. Ginger, so maybe it could be the ginger potato after her. Um, I, I would love to, to breed a really nice variety. Um, I, I'm not too worried about what I call it. Um, but, 
But yeah, it would be really exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to be working with farmers on this as well, because to me, that is the real strength of this, this breeding program is that we have quite a number of farmers who are working together on this and who are going to be sharing what they find. And um, my dream is really to see a network of organic farmers who, um, who are educated and knowledgeable about how to breed potatoes and how to select for what does well in their, in, on their farm and who are linked into this network where they can share their resources. I think that would be a very exciting thing to have happen. And, and in terms of resources on just on growing good potatoes and some of the stuff we talked about today, that, 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 uh, that URL you gave before, can, are, there, are there links from there to, to resources on, on some of the stuff we talked about, just, just good production practices? Yeah, yeah. There's a link in the sidebar that goes to, uh, to a list of resources. Um, so, yeah, definitely take a, look, take a look at that. And some of that is from research that I've done, and then a lot of it links out to other resources in different parts of the country. Okay, well, Ruth, Ginger, thank you so much for your time today. I hope we can find time later in the season to talk about some of the mid-season uh, approaches to, to potato production, consideration yeah. of pests and pathogens and all the rest. But for now, I will thank you very much, and, and I hope you have a, a, a great uh, season of your own with your breeding program. Thank you very much, Jordan. I really appreciate you having me on. It was fun. So that was awesome, no? I loved talking to Ruth. I thought she was just uh, delightful. And so I will thank you one more time, Ruth, for, for coming on the show to share all that really important knowledge with us. What else do I want to tell you before I sign off? Things have been going well. I have some mini-episodes coming up in which I share some of your ideas that you've submitted uh, that you want to share with other farmers and gardeners. So look forward to those. They'll, they'll come uh, off the weekly schedule. They'll just come at random times, and they'll be, they'll be rather short. So I hope you'll check them out. I hope you'll consider submitting an idea. You can text me at 250-767-6636 with your idea, and I'll, I'll get a hold of you. We'll, we'll talk about it. You can phone my Skype number... 310-734-8426. I hope that's right. Oh, man. Uh, or, or send me an email, editor at theruminant.ca. Tell me your idea and invite me to phone you and talk about it. I would love to do that and share it with other listeners. Another thing you can do for, for me and for the podcast is if you like this podcast, whatever directory you're listening in, whether it, well, particularly if it's on iTunes, you can go into iTunes and, and actually rate this podcast. And, and uh, as I understand, that'll really help me uh, show up in rankings within iTunes and help other people find the podcast. So if you like it, please go and, and give it a, a rating or a review. And if that applies to whatever podcast directory you're using, if they offer user reviews or ratings or anything like that, and you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would take the time to rate it. And uh, like I say, help people find it. So that's all I'm going to say for now. Have a great week. Talk to you later. Some real soul searching, and here's my final resolve. I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be